You're listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickey's on AO3. Chapter 16, The Void. Mulder moved forward and picked up the rope, holding up one of the sheared ends. He swore harshly. He cut it, he said, dropping the rope to the floor and standing, and then making his way quickly for the door. William stepped out of his way, and Scully was right on his heels, scanning the trees once they were outside for any sign of the zealot. The sun was getting low. It would be dark soon. She felt the cold edge of dread. Shit, she said, and William ducked out from the dark of the barn, looking nervous and unsure. His haircut made him look older, but his posture was that of a scared kid. She walked over to him and rubbed her hand up and down his upper arm. From the paddock, the three horses made tense noises and Gypsy trotted along the fence line, agitated. She connected eyes with Mulder. Where do you think he went? Mulder asked her. For reinforcements, she said, knowing as soon as the words were out of her mouth that she was right. Mulder clenched his jaw and spun around again slowly. Night was already falling between the trees. Come on, Scully said, rubbing William's arm again briskly. Let's get inside. They trudged back to the house, looking over their shoulders uncomfortably. Usually, the yard and surrounding trees were calm and welcoming, but now they looked sinister, the shadows flickering with malice and dark intent. When they walked in and closed the door, the lights above them flickered and died. Scully heard William inhale sharply. It's okay, she said. It's just the solar running out. Mulder shuffled around the kitchen, and a moment later he had a kerosene lamp lit and hissing. He looked to the kitchen table where Ezekiel himself had sat, and then turned off toward the living room, setting the lamp on the coffee table and lowering himself into one of the wingback chairs. Will sat on the couch, and Scully sat next to him. She could tell he was jittery and ill at ease. He still looked weak and spent. He would never recover at all if he didn't get some decent, stress-free rest. Mulder huffed out a sigh, leaning back, running a hand over his eyes. We're going to have to leave here, he said, looking tense and resigned to the idea. Leave? William said. Yes, Mulder said, looking around the room with a look of melancholy. They're coming for us, Will. It's only a matter of time. William swallowed audibly. A matter of some time, Scully said, reaching out to touch her son reassuringly. Even if Ezekiel has a horse nearby, it'll take him a while to get out of the valley and find backup. You mean if backup isn't already out there just beyond the tree line, Mulder said testily. William closed his eyes and breathed out a breath, slowly. There's no one out there he said after a moment. Not close. Are your powers coming back? Scully asked. 
William held up a hand and the kerosene lamp slid a couple of inches toward where he sat on the couch before it petered out, tilting drunkenly to the side before gravity righted it still. His hand fell and he bent his head, looking winded. Barely, he said. You need rest, she said and put a hand on his knee. She turned to Mulder. He needs rest, Mulder. Good rest. He's not going to recover on the road. Mulder pressed his lips together. How much time do you think? Scully rubbed William's back. She couldn't keep her hands to herself. But William didn't seem to mind. He was sagging on the couch, leaning towards her. Let's see how we're all doing in the morning, she said confidently, acting as though they had all the time in the world. Why don't you go to bed, William, she said. We'll secure the house and do a little prep. William nodded groggily, acquiescing. He shuffled off to the bathroom and closed himself inside. How much time, Scully? Mulder asked as soon as the door was closed, his voice quiet and tense. They didn't cover depletion of supernatural powers in med school, Mulder. I don't know, she hissed. The sooner we get on the road, the better. The sooner he's back on his feet, the better, Mulder. I don't even know what's wrong with him. Mulder pointed to the lantern. It looks like his powers are coming back, at least a little, he said hopefully. Scully sighed. She felt like she'd only just gotten her son back, had felt like they'd finally given him a home 14 years too late. Mulder stood and paused as he passed her, reaching out to put a large, warm hand on her shoulder. I'm going to start pulling some things together, clothes and stuff. The moment he's in shape enough to travel, we'll need to go. Scully reached up and touched his hand, silently nodded. Outside, the wail of a loon swept across the lake and into the room, and for the first time since she arrived at the cabin, she remembered that loon calls were used in horror movies and thrillers, the sound evocative of loneliness and fear in the cultural zeitgeist. She shivered and rose to lock the door. Her name was Danielle, she'd said, but nobody called her that. It was 13 months out from the invasion, and he met her on a freeway overpass one morning as the sun was just cresting the horizon. She had red hair, like him, and was carrying a large backpack and a baseball bat. And like him, she was alone. She was three years his elder and five inches taller, and she'd wanted to be a marine biologist before the whole alien invasion thing went down. She liked comic books, but not the same ones as him and had a couple of dog-eared romance novels shoved in the bottom of her pack. She'd asked him where he was going, and he'd simply said, North. She'd turned and started walking north, too, right next to him. And that was how it started. Are there any Pringles left, Dan? William asked her. She nodded, light from the campfire turning her face and hair carmine, like a reveler in a crowd at Holly. She had a mouthful of something that she was chewing, and her finger curled over the spine of a novel, holding her place. She tossed him the can of barbecue chips without even looking up, and went back to reading. They'd been traveling together for weeks, and he found that he made much better time with her than he had before without her. 
Her legs were longer, and she walked with purpose, and she didn't get distracted like he did. He had his legs stretched out in front of him, his head resting on his knapsack. He kept trying to put the chips in his mouth back to back so that their curved surface would form a duck's beak, but every time he got them situated just so, one of the chips would break and crumble into his chest. They were getting a little stale. He finally just put a stack in his mouth and chewed, shaking the empty cardboard so that the last few crummy bits inside made it sound like a maraca. When he tired of that, he laid back and looked up at the sky. He still marveled at the wash of stars. Without light pollution, the sky looked like a Van Gogh painting. Can I ask you a question? Dan eventually said, after William had drifted into a kind of contemplative doze. He turned his head to look at her, licking a bit of salt and MSG from the skin above his lip. Sure. She looked pensive in the firelight and had the book she was reading closed, holding it between her palms like she was pressing her hands together in prayer. Where are we going? He thought he'd answered that. North. No, I know. That's what you said when we met. But you never said where or why. William wasn't sure if he knew. It was just one of those feelings he got, an instinct that was overpowering, that wouldn't quiet in his head until he followed it. But Dan wouldn't understand that, he didn't think. He never used his powers in front of her, except when she wasn't looking or wasn't paying attention. He didn't know what to tell her. He thought about his answer for so long, she spoke again. Do you not know? He sighed. He didn't know how to answer her in a way that would make sense to her, but he did know that he didn't want to lose her. It was lonely on the road, and she was a good companion. She knew where to find food, places he never would have thought to look, like the bottom drawers of desks in office buildings or a closed-up little stand in the middle of a pinwheel of baseball diamonds. And she wanted to avoid other people, like he did. They'd hide if they saw so much as a dot of movement a mile away. I don't like men, she said to him once, quick and testy and something inside of him told him not to ask her why. They never talked about their past or families, either of them. It was their only unwritten rule. It's okay if you don't know, Will. I'm not mad. Okay, he said. It's just that you always seem to know exactly where to go, and I've never seen you look at a map. Not once. He shrugged, feeling nervous. Are you one of those weird savants, like, like Rain Man, she asked. Not that you're weird, she hastened to add. Who's Rain Man, he asked her. Never mind, she said after a moment, shaking her head and reopening her book. Halfway through that night, he was jostled awake by her pressing her back into his own, shoving him a little way off the blanket he was laying on. He looked up at her, startled and confused. The fire is out and I'm freezing, she said by way of explanation, and threw her blanket over the top of his, covering them both and balling up a sweatshirt next to his pack to use as a pillow. It was getting colder the further they traveled, and the nights had gotten downright frigid. If you try to steal the covers, I'm going to kick you really hard, she finished. They slept together that way from then on, back to back, 
and Will started to wonder what falling in love felt like, though he never really figured it out. He'd rarely been snuck up on. It could happen, but didn't happen often. He could always kind of sense where people were. He knew if his mom was in the kitchen or in the living room when he was closed up in his room. He knew if another student was in the hallway outside of his classroom in the middle of instruction, and he knew which student it was. He'd known there was someone walking on the overpass the day he first met Dan, even though his opening salvo was, Oh, sorry, I didn't see anybody. So when the man stepped into the light of their campfire one night, he got one of the biggest frights of his life. They were camping about a mile from an old highway, in a copse of trees with a little clearing just big enough for their fire. The moon was full, so full and bright that everything had shadows, even in the dark. So for a split second, he thought he was seeing things. When he tried to sense the man, it was like feeling a void in space. He would eventually learn to perceive these voids. He would eventually learn to perceive those voids, but not until it was far too late. They had laid down to sleep only a few minutes before, and he felt Dan's body tense behind him, all over like a human turned to stone. He rolled half over and looked, and there was a man standing there in the firelight looking at them both curiously. He was tall with big shoulders. He was tall with big shoulders, wearing clothes that didn't make sense. A business suit, William thought, or an outfit men wore to church. The dump of adrenaline he felt at seeing him was paltry compared to the one he got when the man spoke. Is your name William? We've been looking for you. Calm and slow, a little quiet, like when you talked to someone in a library. After her initial bit of frozen shock, Dan leapt to her feet like a shot. Who the fuck are you? She spat, the words flying out of her mouth so fast they sounded all crammed and garbled together. Like, who the fuck are you? The man completely ignored her, his focus solely on William, who sat up, frightened, and unsure what to do. His name is Stephen, motherfucker, and you need to leave us alone, Dan said, edging her way to the left, to where her baseball bat was strapped to her backpack. Dad, she called out over her shoulder, as though they were at a family campout and their father had just gone out into the woods to pee. Dad, there's some weird guy at our campfire. Come quick, bring your gun. The void, as William started thinking of him, continued to stare at him. Not moving, just staring. Dan was getting steadily closer to her knapsack and baseball bat, and William's synapses began firing, the shock wearing off. He started to slowly get up, figuring he could draw the void's attention away from her. My name is Stephen. William said, like she said. The man's head tilted to the side, like a confused puppy, though he looked anything but soft. Dan had reached her pack and was slowly kneeling down. Stephen DiGiorno, you know, like the pizza? He kept his eyes on the void. Out of his peripheral vision, he saw Dan rise, a glint of firelight shining off the bat for a second, like a flashlight winking on and off. She had her eyes trained on the strange man and moved back out of the firelight a bit, creeping incrementally toward him. Actually, we might have some pizza, or something else to eat, Will said, 
feeling supremely creeped out by it, but now trying to hold the man's attention. Are you hungry? Nothing from the void. Here, I'll tell you what, Will said, bending down to reach for his knapsack. I've got this package of... At the exact moment, Dan whipped the bat up in the air and ran at the void full tilt, screaming like a banshee. Her face was contorted, angry, focused, terrible and beautiful all at once. She looked like an artist's rendering of Bodica that he'd once seen in a National Geographic. She brought the bat down viciously on the void's shoulder, harder than a big league slugger, and William could hear the impact, but when the bat made contact, it bounced off him like it had hit a sequoia. He didn't so much as flinch. What he did do, for the first time, was turn his attention to Dan, who had fallen backwards onto the ground, the clanging reverb of the bat, which had fallen out of Dan's hand, still spiraling out into the air. The void, his eyes now trained on Dan, who looked up at him, suddenly small and terrified, bent down and picked up the bat and William made a decision. He raised up his hand and called to the bat, and it came flying out of the void's grasp and into his own, so fast that it was a blur until it was clutched securely in his hand. He felt Dan's terrified gaze slide over him, but he didn't take his eyes off of the void, who was now looking at him, his lips slowly rising into a ghastly smile. William, the void said, it is you. His viscera turned to liquid, and he looked over at Dan. Danielle, he said, trying to sound calm and steady, run. Dan didn't need any more encouragement than that, and she turned from the fire and took off, tearing ass off to the east. What do you want? William said, his voice sounding tremulous and scared, like a baby's. You, the void said. Without knowing what else to do, William looked at the bat in his hand and then tore off after Dan, running as fast as he ever had in his life. He caught up with her after probably a mile when he found her leaning over with her hands on her knees, trying to catch her breath. He skidded to a halt next to her. She jumped in fright and then was instantly relieved when she saw it was him. Jesus, she said, and then scanned the woods behind him. Where is he? I don't know, he said, quite winded himself. Nevertheless, he stood and grabbed her hand. Come on, we've got to keep going. They ran off through an open grove of trees and then half slid down a steep embankment, the leaf strata slippery under their feet. Once they regained their balance, they stopped for a moment, listening for the steps of a pursuer. The moonlight through the trees around them was filtered, but still bright, and William could see Dan's face, her eyes looking at him warily. The woods around them were silent. Will, what was that, with the baseball bat? How did you do that? He felt his insides wither. I'm sorry, he said, ashamed. It's something I can... I'm sorry. Please don't be scared of me. He dropped her hand and looked away, feeling tears creeping into the corners of his eyes, but she grabbed his arm and made him look at her. No, she said. I'm, I am scared. I'm scared of that guy, and I'm scared of, everything scares me, she said. Everything. 
but not you. After a brief hesitation, she leaned over and pressed a quick kiss to his cheek. He was dizzy with relief, but then they heard a noise from the hill above them. Dan's hand shot out and grabbed his own. Then William felt a pull behind his sternum. This way, he said, recognizing the feel of the rending force, and he pulled her after him, turning southwest. They shot out of the line of trees and onto the crumbling pavement of an old rest stop, which was wreathed on two sides by the woods they had come out of and bordered on another by a rocky escarpment. The building sat low to the ground, dim. A small kiosk outside its entrance still held faded tourism pamphlets, which rustled in the light breeze. Should we try to hide inside? Dan whispered, her breathing quick and shallow. No, he said, but maybe we can hide from him on the far side of the building. He pulled her along, heading for the side of the rest stop that was closest to the rocky ridge. When they got alongside the building, they flattened themselves to the wall and tried to listen to the night around them, the roar of blood through their ears making it difficult to hear. The night was quiet. After a few minutes, Dan turned her head incrementally to look at him. Do you know him? she asked, her voice barely a whisper. William shook his head. How did he know you? He just looked at her silently, still trying to listen to the night. Is it about the bat thing? she asked. Dan, he whispered more loudly than he intended, but he was scared and annoyed by her questions, and he was just trying to listen. He reached out with his mind, trying to focus on the void feeling of the man, but he couldn't get a handle on it. Then they heard a branch snap from their left. Shit, he whispered, and hedged himself toward the corner of the building and peeked around the side, squeezing the bat that was still in his hand. He wasn't sure if it would do any good considering what had happened when Dan hit the guy, but it was the only weapon they had. He didn't see anything. He squinted hard in the dark, but there was nothing. He turned his back to his friend. He turned back to his friend. I don't think he started to whisper, but Dan wasn't there. He wheeled around and then, there, backing slowly away from the building, stood the void, pulling Dan along backward with him, his arm tightly around her neck. She had both her hands up around his arm near her chin, pulling desperately down. Her feet fighting for purchase on the ground, sneakers slipping through the wet, weedy grass. The moon shone on them full, and Will could see the whites of her eyes, terrified and pleading. Stop! he called out. The void stopped moving backwards, but didn't loosen his grip on Dan at all. What do you want? William's voice cracked, and Dan's feet still churned against the slick ground trying impotently to get away. The void pulled up harder on her neck and her feet lifted half off the ground and William could hear a choking sound coming from her. You, the void said, I need you to come with me. William felt a dull pulse in his chest, a tingling in his fingers. The rock of the ridge was calling to him, whispering something only he could hear. The void winced, his expression changing for the first time and he glanced over his shoulder at the escarpment. Okay, 
William said, getting an idea. The rock had an idea, too. He started to move off away from the building, and the void turned with him. He took slow, small steps, trying to get the void directly between him and the rocky ledge. Okay, but you have to let my friend go. We don't need her, the void said, and Dan made another desperate choking sound. Wait, William called out, putting up the hand not holding onto the bat, desperate. Stop, you're hurting her. We don't need her, the void said again. Another wince and another look behind him at the stony ledge. I'll come with you, William said quickly, still holding his arm straight out. If you let her go, I'll come with you. The void seemed to consider that for a moment, and that's when William struck. He called to the rock that was in the ridge, now directly behind the void, and it flew out in a thunderous fulmination, sharp shards of dark rock careening through the air and into the back of the void, who surged up with a shocked expression. William heard a snap and screamed, running forward, and as he ran, he watched as the void, the whole of him, turned to a silvery human-shaped statue and then burst, every atom of the man into dust. Dan slumped limply to the ground. William skidded to his knees next to her. Dan, he shouted, Dan! He turned her over. Her head was tilted at an unnatural angle. The void had snapped her neck. Dan was dead. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.